Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Blockade Runner podcast because today is the day that the Phantom Menace turns 20 years old. It was May 19th, 1999 that uh, all of us were so, so excited. We'd been building up that hype. We'd been so pumped to see the Phantom Menace the day came and it was the best day ever because the Phantom Menace is the best movie ever and uh, we're going to celebrate that today. So um, with me to celebrate the Phantom Menace and... Uh, and all of his favorite elements of that movie is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Uh, not much. And I uh, just want to say, like, The Phantom Menace is no Attack of the Clones, but it is still fantastic. Yeah. The Phantom Menace is not my favorite Star Wars movie, um, but it is, uh, you know, I, I love it. It's not my favorite Star Wars movie. It's being a little hyperbolic there. But mm-hmm. I cannot believe that you are choosing to start out our Phantom Menace celebration by saying it's not as good of Attack of the, as Attack of the Clones. <laughs> number one, that's a bald-faced lie. And number two, it's it's her birthday. Can we just, like, celebrate the Phantom Menace today without, hey, you know? I, I know. But there'd, there'd be no Attack of the Clones without the Phantom Menace. Yeah, again, we're not here to criticize the Phantom Menace. We're here to celebrate the Phantom Menace. So We can you know. celebrate Attack of the Clones at the same time. I don't see anything <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> Okay. okay, we'll focus uh, on Phantom Menace. Okay, we'll we'll Menace. see you in uh, three years for the Attack of the Clones episode. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay. Um. So yeah, but no, I mean, I, we'll talk about it all throughout the episode, I'm sure. But um, the Phantom Menace could not be more instrumental in in my appreciation and love for Star Wars. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we've been meaning to get back to Chief Palpatine for a couple weeks now, <laughs> um, but it's just like, hey, it's Sunday. We're recording this Sunday. Uh, this Sunday happens to be the la- the twentieth anniversary of the Phantom Menace. Like, how are we not going to do the show all about the Phantom Menace? So, yeah. uh, we're not we're not doing a commentary because I tried that once and Ryan wouldn't let me do it. Um, we're not we're not going to just <laughs> talk about the movie. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a couple different things. So, we want to look at um, a little bit about our our lead up to the Phantom Menace and some of our, of our memories uh, of that. Um, maybe not spend too much time on that though, because I feel like that's relatively well tread ground on this show. We, we kind of talk about that period of time, uh, often just cause it was so, um, brilliant for us, but then, uh, talk about some of our favorite parts of the movie Phantom Menace. Um, I want to talk about some of our favorite Phantom Menace merch because you know what, let's be honest, summer of 99, spring of 99, <laughs> it was all about the merchandise. Okay. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. It, it took over. It was a sensation that was sweeping the nation. Um, every grocery store, every toy aisle, um, uh, every Joanne Fabrics, you name it, um, it was all Phantom Menace. So we got to talk a little bit about that stuff and uh, wrap up by talking about the legacy of the movie as well. So lots to cover. Why don't we start off by talking about our memories of the lead up to the movie? Um, one thing that uh, that I'm kind of happy about, or, or I think is a, a kind of a nice thing to look back at, is that our for the first thing we posted to our YouTube channel, and I think this is before we'd ever done any podcast episodes or anything. Uh, first thing we did for Blockade Runner was uh, Phantom Menace. Uh, was it was us sitting around a campfire talking about um, the Phantom Menace and the lead up to that movie, specifically the lead up to the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, at that time I was really hell bent on. I was going to start this Blockade Runner thing, and I don't want it to be just like another Star Wars podcast because there's you know lots of those. And if that was true then, <laughs> it's only more true now. Um, the world doesn't that didn't need then and, and doesn't need now anymore. Just like standard, <laughs> hey, let's do a show about Star Wars. But here we are. So um, why are we here? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> because but, uh, we're here because Star Wars is fun to talk about. That's yeah. why 
like we met like 80,000 people with Star Wars podcasts at Celebration and there's 9 million of them in existence. It's because Star Wars is fun to talk about with your friends. So there's yeah, there's a- nothing wrong with tons of Star Wars podcasts. Yeah, no, 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 no. You're 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 100 percent correct, and uh, maybe we need the Star Wars podcast more than the Star Wars podcast needs us, or whatever. Mm. But uh, but no, no, no. I was just like, let's try, let's try to do something a little different, you know. And I was thinking um, we could do something sort of like that that video uh, semi frequently, and uh, just turned out getting all the people together to do that and everything was um, was not really possible. But uh, you know, you and I doing this, Ryan, is much more possible. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and it's fun. Like you said, it's fun. So um, it's I'm very happy to be doing it. But uh, originally, I had been thinking, like, let's do something different, you know? And so that video is still there on YouTube. It was fun to make. And maybe we'll do more stuff like that in the future. But the point is, the first thing we ever did, like, as mm-hmm. a collective is uh, us sitting around talking about how great the experience leading up to the Phantom Menace is. Um, so, again, Except I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, you weren't there because you were in, I don't know where you were. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know. You might have been in Illinois. You might have been in Colorado. You might have been in Japan. Who knows? Yeah. You, you know? Yeah. Uh, you could have been on Camino. I have no idea. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, um, it's it's definitely um, very important to us. So uh, why don't you share, like, what's one of your favorite memories from the lead up to The Phantom Menace? Oh, man. Um, so I guess, like, bef- there's, like, <laughs> I feel like there's two different worlds there was like the world before the phantom menace before midnight madness and then a post midnight madness world for the phantom menace um so prior because we got the we got the trailer before midnight madness before all the merch dropped yeah yeah, we did. We got we got one trailer. The teaser was in November of ninety eight, and then the yeah. full trailer was March of ninety nine, which is crazy okay. to think. At that point, you'd get your. I mean, I guess we still get the final trailer only a couple months before the movie comes out. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, it 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 just looking back on it now, it's like oh, you got one teaser, you know, six months before, seven months before, and then a full trailer like two months before. It's just uh. Uh, I don't know. I I guess it's not that far off from the schedule that I use now, but it it, yeah. it felt like it. Um, looking back at it, but yeah. Anyways, we got one. Okay, got one in March, yeah. the big one. Yeah. So, um, you know, the beginning of 1999. I just want to like set the set the stage a bit. We, um, you know, there's there was beginnings of like rumblings about like the the demise of the entire world uh at y2k um that was a very very real thing um there was uh you know like some some worry around that um and it was something we were talking about and like planning for um people were like building bunkers and stocking up on canned food and like i feel like that started kind of like at the beginning of the year and was like prevalent throughout um about all those guns that was weird (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i was old enough to purchase a firearm but i don't know it's america it doesn't really matter like yeah you could have grabbed yeah if you wanted it would have been fine um but uh yeah but you know i wasn't really stressing about about y2k um i was kind of with like the will smith 
approach of like what's gonna happen nobody knows but you know let's just let's just party um you know through the millennium jiggy with it yeah yeah um will 2k um and the only two things i cared about in 1999 were the phantom menace and the sega dreamcast which would launch later that year and like i was basically like you know what if i if i get through those two things like i don't really ca- care what happens on y2k like as long as i get to see the phantom menace in the theater and then play sonic adventure and soul caliber uh i'll be fine like with whatever apocalypse happens so that's kind of just where i was at going into 1999 and so I would, um, you know, sign on to our, I don't know, like 33.6 probably at the time modem to go online. And um, I remember just like watching the teaser um, in like a tiny window on my uh, on my computer. And um, that was uh, that was fantastic. But also, um, I don't really know when exactly the um, Duel of the Fates uh, music video launched. Um, Yeah. But I do remember, um, like, I don't know what the deal was (laughs) with, uh, with my high school in retrospect. But, like, in a couple of the classrooms, there were, um there were just TVs like hooked up to cable and like when it was like work time, people would just turn on the TVs and like, like MTV was always on. And, you know, this is like total requests live era. And, um, and yeah, like we'd, we'd just always be watching like MTV specifically total requests live. And, uh <laughs> I don't know if that's how high schools operate now. <laughs> not not uh, so much. Not, not in my experience, no. Yeah, um, but like it was in multiple classrooms. There were TVs that we could just turn on. And I don't know why this was, but um like obviously we wouldn't turn them on when like teachers were talking, but um or like giving instructions. But yeah, like so we'd turn it on and I remember, you know, there was like you know, like Britney Spears, Corn, Limp Biscuit, Backstreet Boys, and Sync, like all like those were like the TRL staples, Eminem, Kid Rock, uh, that was all happening. But like I don't even know if it was one of like the totally requested videos, but they would play that uh that Duel of the Fates video constantly. Yeah. And uh I just like every time I'd be like, We gotta bump this like turn it up um and i would just like hang out and i remember watching it multiple times at school which is really weird yeah the the duel of the fates video i think it debuted maybe like a week or two before the movie uh it wasn't too long because it featured you know quite a bit of footage i think yeah of, of uh that that battle the duel of the fates battle and and all that kind of stuff and also footage of uh, john williams and the mm-hmm. london symphony orchestra recording the song and all that sort of thing but uh it it lasted for 11 days on uh the countdown on the total request live countdown so oh, know, okay. considering it was just uh classical music and 
and whatnot, and it was competing with the likes of Corn and Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it did pretty well for itself, so it was a pretty big deal um, there. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, uh, that's awesome. And mm-hmm. so that was happening, and then... Uh, so I guess that would have been post, that would have been the post Midnight Madness world. But um, I think like, yeah, Midnight Madness is is what changed everything uh, mm-hmm. for me. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, I was gonna say I have some memories that kind of thread through the stuff that you've brought up there. So, um, you know, as far as the trailer goes that came out in March, um, big memory for me is that uh, our, our friend Dan, um, listeners of the podcast know as he's on uh, with us uh, sometimes and was at Celebration with us, Dan, um, uh, he had a 17th birthday party and it was a sleepover. And uh, that was great because we made um, a birthday card for our manager at Beefaroo um, in, in the basement with finger paints. That was fun. And we also, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was weird. And then we also, um, Dan had recorded the trailer for The Phantom Menace on entertainment tonight i think Mm. and so we had it on a vhs tape and we watched it like we watched it so many times i mean we watched it like 20 times that night at least and we were you know pausing and rewinding and trying to you know when you pause on a vhs tape it's not the best thing ever but we (laughs) pause on certain moments and yeah it was great we were so hyped so i mean we were just hanging out in his basement that night playing some video games making uh, a birthday card for our manager at the local fast food restaurant and uh, watching that Phantom Menace trailer over and over and over. And it was it was really fun. So I always remember that uh, when thinking uh, about the lead up to the Phantom Menace. And then as far as the Midnight Madness stuff goes, um, well, let me let me toss in a celebration memory because um, mm. because, uh, you know, uh, me and three of my friends drove out to Denver for celebration uh, in 99 at the Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum in Denver, Colorado. Uh, which I think you're familiar with, Ryan. And uh-huh. so we drove out there, and of course, it was like the best ever. And uh, I won't talk too much about it because, um, you know, I, at some point I need to do like a, a look back at that event with the other guys that were there, uh, and that'll be uh, a better way to do it. But um, one thing that <laughs> obviously it was like the the hype for the Phantom Menace was was very real at that time, and they had this. Uh, I should have pulled it down. Uh, I don't think you can see it from here, but yeah, I should have pulled it down. Oh yeah, it's actually on that shelf over there. I can see it, but it's a uh, it's a leather bound uh, Darth <laughs> Maul uh, edition of the Phantom Menace. Okay, so it's like the 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 novel by Terry Brooks, um, and uh, it, it's this like leather bound slipcase. It's black. Okay, the whole mm-hmm. thing is black, but then etched into the front of it is Darth Maul's face in in scary satanic devil red. You know. Um, and it's autographed, and it was a limited edition of I don't know how many copies, but uh, we were like we saw that they had that there. I think it was like seventy five dollars or something like that, and, and we saw that they had that there, and we were just like, oh my god, we were losing our minds. Like I've got to get in line to get that book. The same way people do still at Star Wars Celebration. It's like a staple yeah. of Star Wars Celebration, right? Like, got to get this exclusive. I've got to get in line to get this exclusive, whatever. So. Um, we had no problem getting it, although we waited in line for hours to get it, and and we we paid our like. <laughs> very high amount of money to, to mm-hmm. buy it and uh man i remember like a couple months later they were selling it on the star wars website for like a discounted price and now it's worth like nothing at all um but it was just one of those things where we were like just salivating like we got to get this book and it's going to be like the the best collectible ever and nobody else is here in denver colorado nobody else will have this book and <laughs> yeah kind of the kind of the thing with um star wars collectibles in 99 you know after the uh after the 
the public consciousness had realized that Star Wars collectibles from the 70s that were not produced on a super large scale had become very rare and, and worth money. Everybody decided that the um, that the merchandise that was being pushed out for the Phantom Menace in massive quantities would also <laughs> be rare and hard to find a carded and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, and twenty years good. later, you <laughs> can walk around Celebration and uh, see how how rare Phantom Menace merchandise is. Yeah, which is probably upsetting to some people, but to me, I love it because, like, it's 20 years later, but if you go to Celebration or, like, a comic book shop or something, it's almost like it's still 1999 because there's so much (laughs) Phantom Menace merchandise out there that Mm -hmm. you can buy for a reasonable price. So uh, I kind of love it myself. I don't think it was good for Hasbro, but it's good for me. So Yeah. Um, And speaking of Hasbro, then then the other memory from that time is, so we went to Star Wars Celebration um, for three days in Denver, and it took us about 15 hours well i mean it takes about 15 hours to drive out there i think and on the way out we drove straight through but on the way back we did stop one night somewhere in the midwest in like kansas or something like that um i don't remember exactly what town it was but i do remember that i got hit by a tornado like eight hours after we left so um that was a little bit uh uh it was a weird feeling knowing that like this town that we had just stopped in got like totally i mean i you know it it was a it didn't get wiped out, but it, it got hit pretty hard by a tornado um, mm. soon after we left. But anyway, so we didn't go to Midnight Madness. We we were, uh, my friend Jordan's parents were driving us, and um, we didn't really have the autonomy at that point to, like, make that happen. But um, mm-hmm. we we got up at whatever hotel we had stayed at and whatever town in the middle of wherever and um, just kind of made it the plan that we would stop at the first Toys R Us we came across. Or I think there might even have been a Toys R Us in that town, so we stopped at the Toys R Us and... Um, the morning after Midnight Madness and, and bought a bunch of Phantom Menace stuff, but I don't even remember what I bought specifically, you know, um, a couple of action figures, might've bought a Qui-Gon lightsaber. I don't know. Um, but it was just one of those things where it was like so exciting to, you're talking about before and after, you know, mm-hmm. well, it's like before Midnight Madness, there's like some, I don't know, um, special editions and sort of, you know, mid to late nineties, like star Wars original trilogy kind of like merchandise on the shelves. And then after midnight madness, it's just like wall to wall, you know, Phantom Menace gear and like Mm -hmm. all new merchandise. So that was, that was of course very exciting. So, yeah. Um, and then my other one, my last one, I guess is, uh, when we lined up for three days straight outside of Showplace 16, which is the movie theater in our town. Um, we got there on a Sunday night at about maybe five or six o'clock and tickets went on sale Wednesday afternoon. Um, so me and, um, a group of friends, I don't know, probably ended up being like 15, 20 people. Um, not, they maybe weren't all there the whole time, but, um, we had a pretty good crew going there, uh, hanging out outside of Showplace 16, sleeping in tents and playing Star Wars Trivial Pursuit and, having other people bring Taco Bell up to us to sustain us and, you know, <laughs> just hanging out there for, you know, three, three days or whatever. And it was, it was super fun. We, we got there at like five, six o'clock on a Sunday night and there was nobody there. And it was one of those things where, you know, we're kind of looking at ourselves like the showplace manager comes out and he's like, okay, cool. You know, stand over here. This is fine, whatever. And we're kind of thinking to ourselves, like, are we here two days earlier than we need to be here? Two and a half days earlier than we need to be or whatever. Um, But 45 minutes after we got there, two more people showed up in the line behind us. And, Mm. you know, by Monday night, it was like probably 40, 50 people long. And by Wednesday morning, it was 
I don't know, I think at least 100 people like lined up there outside of Showplace 16. So um, it was uh, it was really something that whole that whole era, you know, uh, leading up to the Phantom Menace and, and and the level of hype that was on display for that movie. So um, we got our tickets to the 1201 showing. I think they ended up doing a 1201, 1202, 1203, 1204, 1205, whatever. And uh, I think you, you could just walk up to the theater that night and buy tickets for like one of the midnight screenings. Um, but it was a source of pride for us to be in 1201, you know, like we yeah. were in 1202. We weren't in yeah. 1203. We were in 1201. So what was your uh, what was your opening night experience, Ryan? You must have been there at midnight, right? Show play 16. Well, um, I, I, I want to go back a little bit. Um, so my like midnight madness, um, like you, I didn't go at midnight. Um, I didn't really have the capacity <laughs> to do that i did not have a driver's license yet and i did not have a car so um or wait no i did i was gonna say you would have been a late bloomer if you didn't have a yeah no i think i just like didn't want to make my parents mad okay (laughs) so yeah that's a good yeah um now that i think about it um but i did go yeah because i went um the next day um to uh like the the morning after like after i got off school um or whatever um the next day i went um and that's where like it really hit me because like star wars had had been around at this point like you know we have those um you know power of the 90s episodes we've done and we talked about like the gradual like build up to um you know star wars being part of the public consciousness again and like it had been around and like there'd be like you know the like the power of the force figures were a big deal and like they would take up like a a chunk of like the action figure aisle but like after midnight madness it like star wars stuff was like like its own aisle like <laughs> you could just like walk down an aisle and be at toys r us and be surrounded on both sides by just star wars stuff and that's like not even accounting for like the giant displays at the front of the store and everything um so I remember going and, like, you know, I'd, like, talked with all my friends. of Like, we had been talking about, like, what figures we wanted and everything. Um, so I went I went by myself um, the first time. And I can remember, like, just walking in and, like, seeing that giant Darth Maul face, like, literally everywhere. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, I remember um, buying a um a couple posters um i got like a you know um just like qui-gon and obi-wan versus darth maul poster and then the um you know the the one that everyone had with the the shadow of darth vader you know and anakin um and then i bought um i bought some figures and i I know for a fact I bought a Darth Maul. Um, I probably bought, a, like, a Ricolet. <laughs> um, because, you know, we thought he was going to be, like, the coolest guy, which he is. 
Um, and I think I got like a Queen Amidala um, one and pr- probably like Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Um, but then I remember um, there only being like, I mean, and there were just hundreds of these figures. And it w- there was, I don't know how many launched in the line, um, how many figures there were at launch, like different figures. But I remember there being all these figures and then um, only like a handful of Darth Mauls because that was the one everyone was buying. So I took, um, I found like a couple of Darth Mauls and... Um, like I took them over to another aisle and like opened up, um, you know, the extra storage stuff and hid them in there. Um, so my friends could come get them and like, and then I, um, you know, I told, how rude. Um, I told everyone like, Hey, go to, you know, the, the power Rangers section and look under the, the shelves and you can, you can get a Darth Maul. Because, like, we, at that time, like, we had no idea. Like, this could be, like, um, we had seen what had happened with, like, um, some of the Power of the Force figures. And we were all collecting those. But, like, some of those, like, would come out and be super hard to find and be selling for, like, 75 bucks already. Um, and so I was like, okay, you can go, uh, go, go grab those. And my friends did. And it was, like, very nice and cool. Um and then that got me into the habit of <laughs> always um always looking in those little uh little openings for the extra the overflow storage for in figure collecting because like you know I, I was not the first person to to think of doing that <laughs> and um and uh other people did it as well so like i would i would occasionally find uh figures over the years in those uh those overflow parts if not like just unopened boxes um from from hasbro or whatever that i would just like open and, yeah yeah take what i wanted so um so that set up that like weird habit um and which you know rest in peace Toys R Us in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then, um, when did the uh, Pepsi promotion start? Oh, great question. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I remember being in Denver and seeing like giant inflatable Pepsi cans and the Pepsi promotional stuff was like all over the place in Denver. But I want to say it probably was right around the time that the movie came out that those mm-hmm. cans started to show up. I don't think it was like months ahead of time or anything. Um, but uh, I'd have to go back and look that up. So, um, but yeah, I, I would think May of '99 is when those cans started to roll out. Okay, um, because then there were there were the cans, there were the um, the toys that um, I don't think th- they weren't kids meal toys because you could just buy them if I remember correctly. Well, I don't know what you're. What do you mean? The at the fast food oh. restaurants at like Pizza Hut, Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't remember. For, and it might have been different depending on which one you were at. But yeah, I think. I think you did just buy them. Yeah. Um, or maybe you could win them with the pogs and stuff because like you could go to Taco Bell and they'd give you like a card or something. Yeah. Like, you remember that there was like some kind of. I actually have a poster about it over there that I need to frame and put up, but it's like <laughs> a, you know, it's like a game of chance, basically what you get and stuff. So, 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I bought I bought a fair amount of the toys, but uh, but I didn't um, I didn't really get the. Um, or I bought I, I bought all the cup toppers, but I didn't really buy too many of the toys. I bought a few, mm. but the toys were not as big of a deal to me as the the uh, the cup toppers were. Those were the bigger deal for me. So yeah, yeah. Well, both were a big deal to me. And where I'm going with this is a story I don't think I've ever shared on uh, on this podcast. So um, I guess it's like post the film coming out, but it's related to uh, to this. And um, so. It was probably like, I mean, this, what was interesting about this um, is that the movie release lined up to like the end of the school year and we were in high school and um, which is, you know, what allowed us to um, go see the movie multiple times in, um, in theaters and um, because it was summer vacation. So, uh, Junior, this was junior year of high school, and um, junior prom, uh, I um, took uh, my girlfriend, my date, to uh, to Pizza Hut for sure you did sure junior you did. junior yeah, prom no, dinner, yeah, and um, <laughs> the reason for that is. Because, oh God, um, because my... It's weird mo- that you guys aren't together still. You know? uh. <laughs> yeah, shocking. <laughs> um, yeah, my my mom gave me like 50 bucks or 75 bucks or whatever to like take my date out. I take her to Pizza Hut. We share like a pizza and breadsticks and that's like $20. And then I buy, I spend like the rest of the money on uh, toys and uh, cup toppers. Nice. Nice. Good for you, Ryan. Not nice. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, no, yeah, it's actually not that nice. It's it's, no. it's, it's maybe one of the examples of um, of, uh, of uh, an interest in a hobby, a fandom um, going a little too far. Huh? It's like borderline unhealthy there i guess huh? absolutely yeah not and just because you were eating pizza hut but you know you were placing yeah, unhealthy on like every level like <laughs> physical like sociological um mm. there's actually i was trying to find it but i have no idea where my old like physical photo album is but there's a picture of me from that night in my uh my tux um Standing next to the cardboard uh, Jar Jar cutout. Oh, man. And I will uh, continue to look for that um, picture, but I think that photo album is in um, our storage unit, unfortunately. Oh, so, um, Yeah, so that was the the documentation of it all. Um, first, uh, first prom ever ever gone to and mm. that's uh that's what how it went down wow yeah wow um that does remind me that um jordan and i in our high school english class or junior english class we did on our whiteboard too we had like the number of days until the phantom menace came out we started that like in the fall sometime i think so it was like you know 106 days until the phantom and we would change it every single day and 
Um, it's just the kind of thing that like as a high school teacher now, I'm like, I would be probably pretty annoyed by that um, by like day five. And it would, you know, went on for almost the entirety of our junior year. Um, but it was just like, and, and, you know, the rest of the school, I'm sure the rest of our English class was like, what is your problem? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't care. It was just, uh, it was like that whole year was all about, you know, the lead up, of course. So, uh, yeah. Well, why don't we, uh, are we ready to jump into talking about the movie a little bit, Ryan? I mean, it's been all, it's been all lead up so far. I think we should talk about the movie. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. Um, so I put together a little list here of, uh, of, of my favorite elements of The Phantom Menace. Um, Ryan, you are keeping me in suspense. Yours are all uh, all up here, I think. So uh-huh. um, let's just share some of our, our favorite elements of the movie. Uh, I will say, of course, that, that first off, when, when I went to go see it uh, for the first time in 99 and uh, I guess, what, 13 more times that summer that I loved the movie then. Um, I still love the movie now. And uh, sometimes people look at me and, you know, uh, like like I'm just saying that or something. But uh, mm-hmm. no, I mean, I loved it the day I saw it. I went and saw it thir- 14 times that summer. Uh, mm-hmm. I bought every cup topper. I bought so much merchandise. I mean, I was all about The Phantom Menace. Um, and uh, I think I've, you know, kind of always loved that movie. I, I uh I have a rocky relationship uh, sometimes with Attack of the Clones, you know. I mean, I do love it, but uh, my relationship with that one can be a little, uh, a little tumultuous, let's say, Ryan. Um, mm. But uh, Phantom Menace, no, I've never wavered. I, I, I love the Phantom Menace, and and there's so many different um, elements of it that I that I do love. Uh, I guess maybe you know the the first one I'll start with is um, the whole Obi Wan and Qui Gon uh, relationship. I think that is great. Uh, Ewan McGregor is fantastic. Liam Neeson's fantastic. Um, I really enjoy their relationship. Um, and I also really, really enjoy um, seeing the Jedi represented in those two characters. The idea of the Jedi, you know, before the dark times and all that kind of thing, um, the way they're presented there. And uh, I, I sometimes, as the prequel trilogy went on, I didn't always love other representations of the Jedi as much, but like, I feel like, you know, watching the original trilogy and thinking about, Oh my God, if they go back and do these prequel movies, we'll see the Jedi before, you know, Darth Vader wipes them out and stuff like Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, you know, in that hallway, um, on the trade Federation ship and, and Qui-Gon's burning a hole in that blast door with his lightsaber. And then they come out and just like wreck all those, uh, those, um, uh, uh, droids, battle droids, and all that kind of stuff. It's just like, oh, man, it's so awesome. And 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 mm-hmm. they're they, they have their, a nice balance of being like you know monks and you know wearing these robes and being very philosophical, but then also just like being fun to watch them kind of uh, be very powerful and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of the first thing that that I love about the Phantom Menace is is Obi Wan and Qui Gon. And I of course I remember you know first hearing Obi Wan speak in the trailer. 
uh, Ewan McGregor speak as Obi-Wan in the trailers and being like, oh my God, he sounds just like Ewan McGregor, uh, Alec Guinness. It's so mm-hmm. perfect, you know, and Obi-Wan, Ewan McGregor and Obi-Wan um, never disappointed me in, in the, in the prequels ever. And, and, uh, uh, and that's my favorite Obi-Wan in, in the Phantom Menace is, is my favorite Obi-Wan from the prequels as well. My favorite Obi-Wan overall. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. So that's one thing I love about the Phantom Menace. How about you? Oh man. Um, I think for me, it was, um, a lot of, a lot of my love for that film, um, was just, uh, how absolutely insane it was visually. Um, and like, it was just, I mean, like, as we know, you know, if you like, I think I feel like this is common knowledge now, but, and, you know, it was at the time, but, like, it was such a groundbreaking film for, like, its use of, um, its combination of, like, practical effects and, um, digital technology. And I, like, there's, like, this really weird, um, like, when people are just, like, regurgitating the same lines over and over again bashing the prequels like um there's this weird thing where it's like oh all those movies just took place in front of a green screen and whatever and like that is so like absolutely not true um because i think um i think the phantom menace has like some of i don't know it i don't know if it's like my favorite but i think um Feed is absolutely one of the most gorgeous settings in Star Wars, which was um, filmed in Italy. And um, I don't remember what the actual building was called. I don't know the building. I think the area isn't like Lake Como or something. It's like sort of like the area where they... But like it, that was such like an inspired choice. It was like nothing we had ever seen in Star Wars before. Like in in the Phantom Menace, like we see like the inside of ships, like the Trade Federation ships. We see, um, you know, Tatooine again, which you know it's a more fleshed out Tatooine, but it's not like anything we like totally hadn't seen. But, um, but. Theed and Naboo were just incredible. And I remember just, like, looking and, like, there's just so many, like, details and everything. Like, oh, I love it so much. And um, and that's, like, on the, on the practical side. But then on the, you know, digital side, then we have, like, the Gungan City, which is, again, like, nothing we had seen in Star Wars before. Um, and, you know, and then that all kind of builds up to, um, this, like, insane battle, um, on this, like, giant field of Naboo, and, you know, this is, this is pre-Lord of the Rings, um, we had... We had never seen, um, like, a, at least I had never seen a battle of this 
scale with like so many characters on screen and like these sweeping wide shots like George talked about it like it's you know when he was talking to Steven Spielberg in the beginning he's like it's war and peace like yeah. or I don't remember which one of them said that but um I think it was George um, it was uh it was Steven who referred to the battle droid as this old dangle weed over here that, that was <laughs> yes. Steven who said that you're so. His classic line. Look at his old dangleweed. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, but like just the the vis- visual spectacle of all of that. And that's like not even counting like um, the pod race, um, which was like it was literally like a roller coaster ride inside of a movie. Like, when you're in the theater watching that for the first, like, I don't know, it was, like, ten times um, that it would still blow me away every time I saw it in the theater. Like, eventually it started, you know, that started kind of becoming, like, a bathroom break for me. Um, But the first, I don't know, at very minimum, like, five times I saw that, like, it felt like being you know, on a roller coaster ride in that pot race sequence, especially with all like the first person perspective yeah. stuff. Yeah, no, that's an amazing scene. And I mean, I'm absolutely the Phantom Menace is just unbelievable visually. Um, and, and it's like now you can go back and I mean, we do, we go back and watch the movie and we think about how it holds up and we think about how it compares to like the other prequels and, you know, there's 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 so much of it that still looks so gorgeous and still looks so good. Mm-hmm. And then even the stuff that looks a little rough, it's like it's really not that bad. You know, for instance, yeah. the uh, the the bigger fish and then the bigger bigger fish in uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in the ocean of Naboo. They don't look that great, but they don't look like terrible either. You know, it's been 20 years, and this is like really. It's almost like I mean, it's not the first instance of a creature like that because like you know the T Rex and Jurassic Park and stuff. But like basically, it was a couple years on from like the very first time. Um, digital, you know, creatures had been on screen like that, and you know they look pretty solid. I mean, it's it's like one of those that's that's one of the things where I'm like, well, yeah, it doesn't look quite as great as you'd expect. But then you mm-hmm. watch Jar Jar, and I'm like, honestly, like, I mean, if if I would like people who are visual effects specialists or whatever, if they heard me say this, would probably be like, uh, no, dude. But like to me, Jar Jar like looks like a digital character that would be in a film now, and he was like the mm-hmm. first, like, you know, mm-hmm. what I mean? the first time. It's on un- Jar Jar's unbelievable, and. Yeah, there's just a couple rough shots. Like, there's a there's a shot of the, um, I forget that what that droid transport thing is called. The the like big brown, mm-hmm. it's like shaped like a bell almost. There there's there's a shot of that where it comes through some smoke, like after an explosion or something, and it looks like it looks pretty rough. <laughs> it looks <laughs> it's like super shiny. There's no texture to it, and it just looks like it looks like previs or something almost. And and, it, and there's mm. one shot like that. And there's another shot of R two in the Naboo cruiser in space where he just looks so, I think it's like no texture basically. Like it just looks mm-hmm. so shiny and plastic and like it, it looks really bad. But the, but the point is that I watched the Phantom Menace and there's like maybe five seconds total of, of screen time where I'm like, that looks like a special effect from when they were first doing special effects like this. And the rest of the movie is like holds up totally, you know? Yeah. Um, but even without that, I guess the, the larger point I was, I was making is like, 
okay, now you can compare it and it like it holds up and it looks good and whatever. Think about like where we were in 1999 and the last Star Wars movie we'd seen was Return of the Jedi. And like even the special editions and what the effects look like in the special editions, like mm-hmm. Jabba and A New Hope, whatever. And then you see The Phantom Menace and it's just like, it's a massive, like a gigantic step forward. Even over Jurassic Park, it's like a huge step forward. It's just, it mm-hmm. was unbelievable. It was so good. So um, yeah, no, no doubt. The, the movie is... Uh, uh, you know, it's a great movie, but on the on the the level of just like spectacle and moving, you know, that kind of cinema forward, it's like, yeah, yep. Um, having a little perspective, and I think when people even have more perspective, and and you know, like when my kids or whoever are adults and look back at that movie, it's going to be like a a major milestone. You know, um, some people don't have the the ability to have that perspective yet because it's you know all tied up in in the way they reacted to the movie when it came out or since, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for them to give it that credit, I think, that it deserves. But uh the more objective people can be about it, I think the more they'll 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 look back and say, like, what an unbelievable accomplishment as far as visual effects and uh and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think we're like getting to that. Mm-hmm. Um we're getting to that point finally. Um you know, we we saw that at Celebration with, like, the huge turnout to the Phantom Menace panel and, like, um, you know, getting, like, I know, like, in some ways, like, that Phantom Menace panel wasn't what we had built it up to be in our heads. Um, but I think, like, in retrospect, I actually think it's, like, cooler that we got all these, like, ILM people out there talking about it like from just like a you know first-hand accounts like informational perspective and like and that their work was you know being being recognized and shared and stuff and like you know really just hammering home that like it was just such like a great technical accomplishment yeah, no, I think you're right about that. I mean, except for, like, you said it's cooler, and, like, the thing is, nothing's cooler than Rick McCollum, and I was hoping that Rick McCollum would be there, you know what <laughs> I mean? That's true. Um, That's true. But, no, you're right. I think, like, I was, oh, I want to see, like, Liam Neeson and Obi-Wan, or, I mean, Ewan McGregor and stuff. I want to see mm-hmm. all these people come out. I want to see, you know, Natalie Portman, and, um, and like, I that would have been amazing, too. But mm-hmm. you're right where it's, like, sort of, like, the sometimes these things are just, like, they can they can be just like hey here's all the people that were in the movie and they're gonna wave and then like tell like a little story about like oh yeah I loved it or like wasn't it fun being on set together you know versus yeah. this was more of a almost like a historical look at like the the, the whole process and like what it yeah. means and stuff so it, it is kind of better um, probably but uh, just yeah. as good at just least. yeah maybe that's yeah maybe yeah yeah and I think between you know like you know a lot of us have been like revisiting the the beginning documentary um which i think gives um a lot of perspective and like we recorded an episode about it but like um again like just for perspective and like just you know just like the um the ILM people coming out and being like well George wanted to do this but no one had ever done it before so we built software to do it (laughs) like and then 
we were able to like license that software out for like every blockbuster movie since like i mean it's just yeah like i think um i would like to talk a little bit about um the the reception of the film um and the influence of it well can we talk about that when we talk about the legacy of the movie you know ryan you know what i'm saying yeah okay okay i mean not to i don't want to you know you got a fire inside of you. I don't want to put it out, but uh, okay. But yeah, I, mean, I just kind of want to wrap up the show by talking about like the legacy and all that kind of stuff. So okay, I thought we were like just about to that point. <laughs> no way, man. We haven't talked about our okay. All right. Well, anyway, uh, okay. A couple more things that I love about the movie, just like more okay. rapid fire. Whatever. Okay, cool. Okay, Anakin. I love Anakin. I love mm-hmm. young Anakin, and I feel like that was a controversial choice, but I feel like it was one where it was George being like, I'm going to do what I want, and uh, I probably know that, you know, this isn't what people want, and are you a fan of The Matrix, Ryan? I don't remember. You like that movie? I do. Okay, I do. cool. Yeah. No, a lot of people mm-hmm. do. Uh, but but I think, like, to me, when I think back about The Phantom Menace, it was, like, 1999, and The Matrix had come out in, like, March, I think, or something like that, mm-hmm. and it featured a bunch of people in black trench coats, and they wore sunglasses, and everything was dark and gritty, and, like, it was... Um, people tell me a good movie and that's cool, but it was just so different from the Phantom Menace. You know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. the vibe and the feeling of the Phantom Menace and, and boy, did they get compared? They did. Yeah. And I'm doing it now, but um, it's, it's because like, I just feel like, I don't know how much influence that had on the reception to the Phantom Menace. Like if there had been no matrix, I still think people would have wanted like grim, dark, like child Anakin Skywalker or whatever, and not like sweet young kid. But I think, you know, so maybe it was just that the Matrix was more in tune with what, you know, young male audiences wanted in 1999 or whatever than, than The Phantom Menace was, rather than, like, let's blame The Matrix for the fact that people didn't like the sort of bright, um, hopeful element of The Phantom Menace. But I love that. I love the fact that—and I— I've been dancing around it, I guess, but uh, I didn't like The Matrix. I went and saw it in the movie theater. I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. I, I tried to watch it a few years later. I still did not like it. So I'm not saying it's a bad movie or anything. It's just like not something that I was into. Um, and so I remember just being like, God, you know, I loved The Phantom Menace, of course, and I loved Anakin and all of his innocence and purity and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember how much everybody, not everybody, but how much a lot of people you know, kind of hated that element of the movie and would be like, oh, they should have started when he was like 15 and like real angry and stuff. And I love the fact that George was like, no way, you know, I just like, we want to see by the time, you know, episode three comes around, he's going to fall to the dark side. And um, why show him halfway there in the beginning rather than, you know, let's see this full um, arc and transformation. And so mm-hmm. I think that it, it just makes it that much more, um you know, kind of painful. Um, Padme with a Japor snippet around her neck at, at her funeral. Um, mm. To me, it, it wouldn't have been as good if uh, if Anakin had made that for her when he was 16 and was like swearing all the time and dressed all in black and, you know, had like a swoop haircut and, and was, you know, um, uh, emo Spider-Man from Spider-Man 3. Like, that, I feel like that's what people wanted. And I just think that um, George was very bold in, in, in going for you know, young, sweet, innocent Anakin Skywalker. And I think the movie is better for it myself. Well, yeah. And related to that, like we did get that with Attack of the Clones and everyone hated it. That's true too. <laughs> so, that is... um, 
I don't know. I don't, you, you know, you can't, you can't please some people, but, um, just going back and like, I don't know, like, this is probably like not even appropriate to talk about here, but I do think like something, um, pretty legitimate that was kind of like where I was coming from at this time is we had the matrix come out in theaters at the end of March. Um, and like, you know, like you said, it was, um, you know, people in, uh, trench coats and there were, um, a lot of like a lot of the effects in that film, like the, um, the wire effects and stuff were, and even bullet time, which, (laughs) Oh, um, but like those were, I think those surprised people. And it was like, (laughs) I don't, I don't want to (laughs) say like it, the reaction to that movie is kind of like how I feel about like the reaction to like inception many years later. It's like a movie that people, Okay, I don't I don't want to say I don't want to say that. Um <laughs> it's it's a movie that dumb people think is smart. Um <laughs> No, I see what you're saying. Like it's it gets blown up to be this like really like uh clever like super um groundbreaking thing when it's actually more a lot more obvious than um then people seem to understand. Yeah. 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 I get what you mean. Okay. Yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> but I, I don't like, and I also don't mean that as like, don't you're dumb if you like this movie because, well, I am. Cause you're dumb and fa- you like that movie. In so. fact, I am <laughs> dumb and I like, uh, the matrix and I like inception. Like, but it's also like, I recognize that like, maybe they aren't as heady as people necessarily think, but it was, um, kind of unprecedented for like a mainstream blockbuster action movie to have these kind of like um more like heady concepts in it, and I think like that surprised people with the Matrix. Um, you know, in spite of it kind of being a ripoff of the Animagus in the Shell. Um, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, but. You know, I I do like that movie. But again, you mentioned it was... Um, and I'm coming back around to what I was initially talking about. Like, it was, like, people in trench coats uh, shooting in cool ways. Then, a month later, the Columbine Massacre happened. And that was, um, you know, people in trench coats shooting. And that really for a while kind of like soured me on the matrix and the matrix aesthetic and it was just like it was so tragic so sad it was um you know like it's it's weird because like I live in Colorado now and just like a month ago we closed all the schools on a Wednesday because there was like this um, threat of like quote unquote another Columbine like we like by and, someone who was like fetishizing like what had happened right yeah and, yeah and um you know like it is something that is like very prevalent here like there's you know um in in the same way like the 
um, the Aurora shooting at like the the Dark Knight Rises um, theater. Like that's stuff that like still just like hangs in the consciousness of people. And Columbine was really like obviously like really upsetting and terrifying um, back when like we were in high school in 1999, and um, and just like. I mean, just didn't even, like, understand how it could have happened. And it became, like, scary to come to school, um, no matter where you were. And then it also, like, led to a lot of, um, you know, crackdowns within schools because no one knew how to, like, explain this or do anything about it. So it became, like, this, like, schools be when when people don't know what to do about something they like that they're scared of they police it and schools became like that's when you know the conversation started around like schools are feeling like prisons like the doors are locked at all times now like there's metal detectors like you have to have your backpack searched like all this stuff that was new like you couldn't wear t-shirts with like any kinds of guns on them and um all this was new and it like and it happened so suddenly um like it and it would you know happen again uh you know post uh post 9-11 but there was suddenly like all this like fear and tension and um policing going on so I think the point of this is rolling into the Phantom Menace for me was like it was so therapeutic in like as a movie going experience whereas like all of a sudden like I had no desire to watch The Matrix again but then like Phantom Menace is so um so foreign and so like detached from any sort of reality and um and it's like goofy and like you know if the if the matrix is like quote-unquote smart like the phantom menace is like dumb as hell and like it has these like awful like wooden like exchanges of dialogue that are like super quotable and it's so silly and so fun um but like obviously it holds weight as you know as far as like star wars canon and you know, there is, like, a bit of a tragic tale to it, but, like, it's it's a different sort of tragedy. And, like, I think that's why, like, at the time, like, I just latched on to the movie so hard. And it, like, it felt so good. And, um, you know, that's where, like, my, you know, 1999 and 2000 kind of went. Like, the things that I was, like got into so hardcore in those years were like um things that were just like so light like the you know phantom menace sega dreamcast pokemon like ska music ska music yeah can't talk about 1999 without uh talking about um the i don't know a ska band from 1999 (laughs) skank and pickle um I saw yeah. I saw somebody on their T Public store. I don't know whose it was or who who put it up, but somebody has a T shirt, uh, Ska Bulba, and uh, it's like, <laughs> yeah, Ska mm. Bulba, and he's got like he's doing like the thing, you know what I mean? And it's yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's the skank. It's like uh, um, it's very good. There was a there was a band um, at the 
probably like like the late 90s um like probably 90 98 99 um called luke skywalker mm-hmm. sure yeah and yeah, uh yeah um no, but so the... yeah basically that was like that was um, my point and again it's kind of like we're like tiptoeing around like the reception part of it which we'll get to but um yeah like it was like when i when i think about that era like there's so much like fun stuff like merch and everything but like it also kind of explains like why i think a lot of people especially people our age who were like you know not not adults per se but like not young enough to not understand like what was really happening in the outside world like um, you know, we were, like, living in parallel to, like, this tragedy. And um, so I think that's, like, part of the reason why, like, I, at least personally, like, dove so deep into this. Yeah, I like that. I mean, like, uh, the movie is so, like, earnest, you know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. free of, like, pretension, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. like, rather than posturing to be cool in any way, it's, like, almost <laughs> the exact opposite of that, you know what I mean? And that's what I mean about, like, the Anakin thing, too. Yeah. It's, like, so many people would have wanted it to, like, you know, like, dress, like... Uh, so many people would want it to, like, present itself as being cool and, like, of the time. And I think George was just, like, no, I'm gonna, like it's going to have this sweet little kid and it's going to be earnest as hell and it's not going to try to be anything it's not. And in fact, it's going to like, so little of it, I mean, besides the visual effects, like so little of it tried in any way to be of the time, you know what I mean? Or be modern and like sort of, and I love that. And it's like, this is not a super well thought out thesis and I'm sure it could be probably disproven if we go back and really study the culture of like the late nineties or whatever. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much discussion of, a new hope coming out in 1977 and the 70s being full of like gritty sort of like you know realistic cinema or even like jaded and cynical cinema and then the new hope mm-hmm. comes out and it's this bright like hopeful um throwback to movies from the 40s and you know it's just like something mm-hmm. that like people really wanted at the time and he was the one who tapped into that and I feel like a little bit, like, I mean, I know that you're kind of saying personally for you and May, you wanted something more bright and hopeful like that. But I feel like maybe a little bit for the general population and especially for like that young male demographic that obviously is pretty important to a movie like The Phantom Menace, especially at that time. Like, I don't think that that, that that's what they were looking for, like in general, was like mm-hmm. bright and hopeful and earnest, you know, um, which is why I think so much of the discussion that summer from people who were disappointed with the Phantom Menace was like, dude, it sucks compared to the Matrix. The Matrix is so hardcore, you know? Mm -hmm. And like the Phantom Menace just isn't. And that's what I love about it, that it's not, you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, I guess like to our sensibilities and stuff like that, and and especially, you know, like you said, um, considering certain things that had happened culturally, it was a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways. Um, But there were a lot of people that I don't think were looking for a breath of fresh air. I think they were looking for like, dude he's he's young anakin skywalker but like secretly he pulls the wings off of flies and he's like you know he's so evil (laughs) he kills his mom right totally like people just wanted it to be like you know like that movie with macaulay culkin the good son you know what i mean do you remember that movie like oh he's a little kid and he looks like he's nice but really he's so evil like that's why or like the omen (laughs) yeah right 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 Um, yeah so thank goodness it's not that um couple other things real quick. Oh, Ryan. one more thing on that, though. Okay. Um, also, Jar Jar. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. in addition to Anakin, <laughs> there's also 
Jar Jar, which is just like pure cheese goofiness, mm-hmm. like um, to the max, um, like childish goofiness. And yeah, that was like, you know, and I do like I kind of get where people were maybe caught off guard by all of that, because to be fair, like the trailers were what the trailers were promising was not like a movie about politics and um, like goofiness and, you know, an earnest young boy like the the trailers were pretty like this is an epic like um and i mean that's that's why you make a trailer is to you know it's a it but like in a way like a trailer's marketing but it's also a promise and um i'm not sure how prevalent some of those aspects were see i don't know though cuz i'm like i i hear what you're saying like the trailer was not, you know, putting it front and center that like this kid would be a silly, hopeful little kid and that there'd be this like, you know, fish man character who'd be running around like stepping in poop and stuff. Like, sure, it didn't advertise those things and it did advertise the film as being much more epic. But like, I think it delivered that stuff in spades as well, though. You know what yeah. I mean? Like sometimes I, I, I love Phantom Menace. You know what I do. Sometimes I watch the like 25 minute conclusion to that movie. That's just like epic, epic battles, battles, like so mm-hmm. much going on. And I'm like, this could be like maybe a little less of this. You know what I mean? Like it's almost too much like that giant battle and then the space battle and then, you Mm -hmm. know, Padme and the guards and their battle plus the duel of fates. Like it's like so much like delivering on all cylinders, like with this epic battle stuff that it's like, man, remember when they were just sort of like, you know, walking around Tatooine, like (laughs) hanging out with the, you know, Sebulba and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So I I don't know. I think, yeah, I, I think you're right. in that maybe like it didn't, it didn't, the trailers and stuff, the marketing didn't. Ass- well, let's be honest. Like Jar Jar was everywhere in the marketing too. That's true. Not in trailers, but you could not walk into like a Walgreens without seeing like 400 images of Jar Jar Banks, you know. And they put him on like the covers of like magazines and stuff. I mean, he was everywhere, you know, T-shirts. Mm. So I don't think they were really hiding Jar Jar either. But um, I don't know that it hit people's sensibilities. Um, is Jar Jar your favorite Gungan in the movie? Um, because, like, he mm-hmm. m- might be mine. Tar- Tarpal. Tarpal's is so good. Yeah, I love yeah. Captain Tarpal's. Is, is uh, Boss Ness a Gungan? Boss Ness is definitely a Gungan, yeah. That's, why is he so, like, different looking? I'm not sure. That's a good question. Okay. I'm not well, sure. Well, no, Boss he's, Ness is my favorite He's Gungan. only my third favorite Gungan, though, Boss Ness. Ooh, I think he's my first. Mm, wow. When, okay. yeah. Like you know, Houston, when, huh? <laughs> when he when he finishes a sentence and like shakes his head and uh, burbles, uh-huh. like I can't get enough of that to be okay. honest. Right, and well. I also just love that he's like so weird looking compared to all the other Gungans. Yeah, yeah. yeah where's he... like our new canon like Gungan hierarchy and like evolution Politics story? Oda Gunga book. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, Boss Ness at times does look a little plasticky too. I would say like where where Jar Jar like usually looks so good. Like Boss Ness is is pretty impressive as well, but there are times when 
you know like for something for some reason like his bulbous appearance just was not as easy to pull off as captain tarples is uh fu manchu whiskers or whatever he has going on there so <laughs> oh tarples is so good too <laughs> he is yeah, he really is, yeah. Uh, i don't know i don't ask me to pick a favorite gun again okay all right my bad <laughs> uh well then what's your favorite pod racer like not pod but like pilot mm. pod racer pilot who's your favorite pod racer so i don't know like it's kind of lame but um I've been revisiting um, Episode One Racer on Nintendo sixty four oh, uh, recently. Not lame. That's kind of great. Um, well, no, like this part is lame. Like, and it came down to like the you know which uh, which racer are you going to follow through like the career mode, and I, I just ended up picking Anakin. Mm. Like, I and I think it's too, um, yeah. I think it's because like his pod racer is just so iconic like i it's you know kind of the most iconic pod racer mm-hmm. and um yeah i yeah i just i just go with anakin i guess anakin's my favorite i was um, sure you were gonna say ordy mandrell but uh, or, okay. uh ben old ben ben quadraneros <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah sure um yeah so i, I love captain harbles uh one of my favorite moments i mean this is just such a little thing but wait just... well, who's your favorite pod racer i don't know um i don't know i mean probably anakin sebulba um yeah i don't know um i love them all you know yeah all great so yeah um but uh a little moment that i i really love i gotta bring up is um jar jar uh saying like so after obi-wan and qui-gon like on the way from um wherever they are to the feed like the feed palace to the feed hangar you know when they're getting ready to leave naboo mm-hmm. um there's like those those battle droids in in you know they have that little battle out there and they just cut through them in like 10 seconds flat and like <laughs> some like, <laughs> robotic piece of a droid like spins around and falls down and hits the ground and then <laughs> jar jar looks at like obi-wan and quagani he's like oh you guys bombad <laughs> you know <laughs> like i love that moment and I've always loved it, but then I was watching it with my kids a couple, like a year or two ago, and 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 he said that, and like my older son just like lost his mind, like cracking up, like he thought it was so funny because it's like, whoa, you guys are hardcore, you know what I mean? <laughs> you just totally mess those dudes up, and uh, it's just such a great moment, and like seeing my child react to it the way you know I feel like kids probably did at the time, or or you know, yeah. it just it's like seeing the the purpose and promise of that character fulfilled. Like kids loved him, mm. and I still, I mean, I love him too, but. Um, you, I think you need that a little bit. And, and of course I think that they went a little far with Jar Jar in a couple moments, but it's like when people Mm -hmm. talk about Jar Jar, that's all they talk about is like the couple of worst moments, like the fart choke or the poop joke or whatever. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's not great, but like I can do the same thing with C-3PO, you know, like I don't define him by the two or three like worst jokes related to C-3PO in all the Star Wars movies. Um, I could, if I wanted to be lame about it i could do that but instead i focus on the entirety of that character the entirety of c-3po's character is amazing and uh feel the same way about jar jar and uh, one more character we haven't talked about that i think is really like so crucial to the heart of this movie is shmi skywalker and Mm -hmm. i I love that character i love every scene she's in i love every moment she's in i love every line she Mm -hmm. delivers and um and again like i guess all the stuff i'm pointing out that i love about this movie is 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 uh the stuff that is emblematic of how much like heart and uh and and just yeah brightness there is to this movie um and and shmi is another example of that and i think she's fantastic Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. um just like her 
um her arc of just like wanting what's best for her son and like knowing that there's something special about him like i think that's like really powerful like it is like phantom menace is such like a movie of extremes um more than any other star wars movie i think um because like you have these like very like childish slash childlike moments um but then you also have this like very complicated um political plot that's moving the film around and then you also have like these explorations of like jedi and sith mythology um and then you have like this uh like very sincere like mother's perspective in there as well and like there's countless other um things like it's not just like a movie about one thing and like it goes to like extremes in like every regard it's just like it's such a big and full movie (laughs) um and i think like in tonally so all over the place and I think, like, that can kind of be said for um, all of the prequels. Maybe not so much episode three, which is pretty, uh, you know, you know, five minutes into the movie. Like, the tone is kind of set for um, the rest of the film, and it just sort of, like, builds that um, dread and tension. Um, but I think, like, with Attack of the Clones, there's... Um, well, we'll talk about that more in three years, but um, there is, like, the extremes of, like, the teenage romance uh, compared to, um, you know, this galactic conflict and war. Um, But in Phantom Menace, I think there's, like, there's so many, like, themes and tonal shifts, which, um, which is jarring if you just wanted to watch, like, in a space action movie. Mm. Um, you kind of only get that in, like, the last, like, 20 minutes of the film. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, it's it's probably the Star Wars movie that's most, uh, most dense and has so many, like, tonally different moments across yeah. the board. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, I wanted to bring this up uh, or meant to bring it up when you were talking about or we were talking about the Matrix and, and sort of the 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 tone and, and, and the brightness and the hopefulness of the Phantom Menace and all that. But like something we haven't talked about um, is just the color palette. Like if you think like when I'm thinking about this movie, like every location, every scene, it's so bright and just colorful, you know, and. And like comparing that to other movies of the time that were, you know, I mean, primarily the matrix, but other stuff too. It's just like, it's so dark and gritty. And this movie is just like, whether it's Tatooine or Naboo or Coruscant, or even like there's this big battle, you know, the duel of the fates. And we haven't even talked about the duel of the fates, which is like out of control. (laughs) Amazing. We haven't barely mentioned it except for the music video, but like even that scene, which is this epic, like final confrontation in the movie it's like in brightly lit corridors and takes place during the daytime. And like, there's barely any kind of like dark um, locations or, you know, it's just a very bright and colorful movie. And, uh, and and I think that's fantastic as well, you know? So, yeah. Um, Why don't we 
just talk real quick about uh, Duel of the Fates and that, and that whole sequence, <laughs> uh, the battle with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and Darth Maul. Um, you know, we, we got some cool lightsaber stuff all throughout The Phantom Menace. We get cool lightsaber battles, but it, they're largely with battle droids who are, you know, not much of a problem or whatever. So you get to see, you know, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon wielding those lightsabers and doing some cool stuff. You do get that quick battle between Qui-Gon and Darth Maul, which is really great. And what a cool choice to not have Darth Maul's double-sided lightsaber extend in that scene so that it's only at the end when you see both sides, mm-hmm. you know, extend. But uh, every single thing about that, like that sequence, the Darth Maul... Obi-Wan Qui-Gon battle is just perfection. I mean, it's, I feel like that between that and the pod race, you know, um, basically like, yeah, uh, price of admission totally, you know, covered or, or like the, the, the promise of like an epic Star Wars movie. It was right there. Like that's enough right there, you know, Mm -hmm. the amazing pod race. And then this incredible, you know, Darth Maul, Qui-Gon Obi-Wan, um, battle. I mean, it's like some of the best Star Wars music ever. I think unquestionably the best, just in terms of choreography and lightsaber, you know, battle as far as that stuff goes. I mean, maybe not emotionally, but um, certainly technically, like by far the best uh, lightsaber battle uh, ever up up until that point, uh, and mm-hmm. maybe maybe since really, honestly, probably since um, um, Throne Room and Last Jedi has overtaken it for me. Okay, um, yeah, but I mean, like on a technical level, you know, like Ray Park, like flipping all over the place and swinging that, that lightsaber around. Um, I mean, I, th- I think Ewan McGregor and, and um, Hayden Christensen at the end of Revenge of the Sith too, like really took it up a notch in terms of like the the level of kind of talent on display in like having that battle. So that's what I mean. Like, cause you think about like, what's the best lightsaber battle in a Star Wars movie? Like, to me, it's almost like, well, isn't it Return of the Jedi? Like when Luke Skywalker throws that lightsaber down and says, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And you know what I mean? Like it depends mm-hmm. on like what criteria you're looking at it. Sure. From. Cause, but I'm saying just like purely technical. Yeah. Cause the throne room in the last Jedi, there's a lot going, I mean, it's a really cool fight, but it's also like surprising you and shocking you. And there's moments like, like when, you know, he tosses that lightsaber to, or she tosses that lightsaber to him and he just turns it on in his hand. And it's like, that's amazing. <laughs> like that stuff is so cool, but yeah, but that's like different than the saying. Phantom Menace being this like just incredible choreographed like battle from beginning to end, you know? So, um, depending on how you look at it, but anyways, just an unbelievable scene. And, and two, like the more I, I've watched that movie, because I've watched the movie a bunch of times in the last year, Phantom Menace. It's like mm-hmm. the way that they build tension and fear and everything with, with Obi-Wan um, being separated from Qui-Gon by, and, you know, Darth Maul by those plasma, you know, walls or whatever they are. It's just so perfectly done. It's just like unbelievable. And, and the fact that you see that Sith like angry and, you know, hitting the lightsaber against the wall and you've got Qui-Gon just kind of kneeling down and being calm. Meditating. And meditating. It's like, yeah, my God, it's so good. It's so, so good. So, um, yeah. yeah, best, best ever there. Um, I mean, like, I feel like part of the reason I went to go see the movie 14 times that summer was just to keep seeing that <laughs> sequence over and over. So, yeah, that's fair. <laughs>
Okay. Well, uh, let's let's wrap up by talking about the legacy of the movie, um, mm-hmm. Ryan. Uh, my my first thought is that it's super bold. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. so so bold, and I think we've been really kind of addressing that all episode as we've talked about its choices and the choices George made, but it's really bold to focus on young Anakin Skywalker. It's really bold to make a bright, colorful, hopeful movie. It's really bold to have a character like Jar Jar Binks um, kind of uh, emphasized and, and featured. And I think all the prequels are bold, no doubt, but like there's certain ways in which George kind of like lost his nerve as the prequels went on, I think. And I don't know if that's, I mean, primarily Jar Jar, I guess you'd say. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's it, pretty neutered. Yeah, after yeah, just not there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and maybe I mean I I do think the nature of the t- story being told necessitates that maybe this one is the brightest and the most hopeful, and then it kind of descends from there. And so you could make the argument that that pulling Jar Jar is kind of you know would have made sense anyway, but um. I, I do think it was a little bit of a fans hate this guy, so I'm going to, you know, kind of really reduce his presence. Um, a, a combination of that, and it makes sense for him to be around less as well. Yeah, and I also think, like, that is kind of Jar Jar's character arc. Like, um, and I mean, the the um, context of the of the movies i think like even outside of like you know outside pressure um and like reaction i think like the um you know as the war rages on um you know it's not after you know jar jar sees so much of that firsthand like it's not really like so much of a time to be like goofy yeah (laughs) anymore and he's more just like you know he's he sees how like humans act and then he's like in these very like human situations. Like, I don't know. Like I think his, his arc is feels fairly natural to me. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Um, And I mean, the thing is too, the Phantom Menace is told from the perspective of a sweet little kid and then the other two movies are not. So um, Mm -hmm. for Anakin's sidekick in some ways to be this like, goofy funny character in a phantom menace it definitely makes a lot more sense than mm-hmm. to see angsty you know anakin in, in attack of the clones like having jar jar by his side all the time like would it be uh yeah that wouldn't really yeah. um, make a lot of sense so but 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 you know i just do feel like like there's so much hope in 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 brightness and uh and earnestness in the phantom menace and 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 i do think like you know attack of the clones you can look at that movie and be like there's there's a lot of like on paper cool moments like that I feel like you know audiences expected in the Phantom Menace that weren't there. So you have this like giant arena battle with like a thousand Jedi swinging their lightsabers around. You didn't get that in the Phantom Menace, and I think people expected it. You know, um, mm-hmm. there's Anakin slaughtering Tusken Raiders. Like people didn't get anything like that in the Phantom Menace, and I think they expected that. You know, there's far less humor of the Jar Jar variety in Attack of the Clones, and people didn't expect that in, in the Phantom Menace, and and so I think like, you know, again, it's, it all, it really does make sense as far as the, the, the narrative, uh, the arc, uh, you know, and, and the fact that it would make sense for each movie to kind of reduce those elements. But at the same time, it's also like, well, guess what? Like a lot of the stuff in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith is what people expected to be in the Phantom Menace. And so I think there's always a little bit of a, it was always going to go this way, but then there's also a little bit of, 
hey, I think George realized that people wanted some of this stuff and he didn't give it to him in The Phantom Menace. So um, to bring it back to The Phantom Menace, like, I appreciate that. Like, and maybe that's kind of obnoxious or whatever, but I appreciate that it was like not just giving people exactly what they thought they were going to get with a new Star Wars mm-hmm. movie. So, yeah, I th- I think that's, um, you know, pretty, uh, uh, pretty across the board for the prequels. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just like more so for the Phantom Menace because like, yeah, I mean, you can't really like recreate the, um, the amount of expectations and hype, um, you know, some, most of which was authentic. Some was manufactured. Um, but like, I don't know if I can't really think of any time, even with like Force Awakens, like I don't, I don't think it was like equivalent to the the hype and expectations for the Phantom Menace. No, I don't think so. I think it was, it was, it was uh, creeping into the vicinity. You know what I mean? It was getting, yeah. It was moving in that direction. It was getting into that area, but not. I don't think it ever got to the point where we were with Phantom Menace, where you know, the the expectations, the anticipation was so so high. You know, um, yeah. I don't think. And 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 yeah, that's amazing, but it's also unfortunate for the movie, The Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, had expectations been a little bit reduced or just not, you know, if the anticipation had not been boiling to the point that it was like, you know, so intense, um, then I think the movie might have gotten a little more of a fair shake from from certain elements of the audience. But uh, it is what it is. Um, I think too, though, like the fact that it is so bold and so different is sort of. To me, anyways, as like a, a Star Wars fan, I feel like it set the expectation that like, you know, if there's going to be a new movie, like a new uh, trilogy of movies coming out, like maybe it will be different because I think going into The Phantom Menace, I expected it would feel very much like the original films. And in, in, in so many important ways it does, but then in so many important ways it feels different, you know? Um, and if The Phantom Menace, like the first movie in a new series of Star Wars movies, a new trilogy of Star Wars movies came out and just felt like, well, okay, like I love The Force Awakens and I love The Force Awakens because it feels like the original Star Wars trilogy, but I also love The Phantom Menace for not feeling like the original Star Wars trilogy because it kind of sets the expectation that's like every time we do a series of these movies, they don't have to just like, there's not just one template where it has to stick so closely to that. It has to feel just like those original movies, you know? Um, so I think personally, The Phantom Menace does a good job of of finding the balance between being very much like the movies that came before it and then also carving out its own identity yeah and i think like the phantom menace uh and the reaction informed a lot of what disney did with um the force awakens and like i again i love the force awakens um because i love the the new characters but like that movie is you know like so like extremely adherent to the um you know like the i i and i'm not saying like it's like uh you know it's a it's a remake of the force awakens but it sticks to the original new hope Six the original blueprint, the tone, the feeling. Yeah, and it like it, it visually looks um, you know, more akin to the um the original trilogy and like I mean, 
like the most like loaded f- phrase uh from the like lead up to um the force awakens was practical effects yeah which kind of goes back to the point i made earlier where there's tons of practical effects in the phantom menace like they they built you know ship models they you know um recorded on like you know real sets and all this but that's neither here nor there but then i think (laughs) what happened again is you know people uh went into the last jedi (laughs) with expectations and you know uh kind of i don't know like uh, yeah, like, people had expectations that were, like, sort of established by The Force Awakens that, like, oh, this is going to be, like, it's going to be more, more original trilogy Star Wars. This is going to be, um, you know, this is going to be the Empire Strikes Back of this new trilogy. And it, like, definitely wasn't that. And I think, like, it got, like, a similar reaction to <laughs> The Phantom Menace. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I, as you were talking about The Force Awakens and how it, it's it's kind of safe in a lot of ways or whatever, you mean you didn't use that term, but I think it kind of is um, in great ways. Uh, that's, it, it, that is, it's possible for that to be successful because of the prequel trilogy. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like, I think that if the prequels had come out and they were very similar to the original trilogy and then 10 years later, they put out a third series of movies that also in some ways were really, at least the first of which was really similar to the original trilogy. Like I think at that point it's kind of stale, you know what I mean? But what happened is we have the original trilogy and then we have this prequel trilogy that, you know, is similar in a lot of ways, but also really different in a lot of ways. And so then like when we return in 2015 to something that felt more like that original trilogy, it is kind of like returning to versus like, Oh, a seventh movie that feels exactly the same. You know what I mean? So it's like, I love the Phantom Menace and I love the force awakens and Mm -hmm. they're one of them is like very adherent, as you said, to that original blueprint. And one of them is in some ways, but in a lot of ways is bold and does things differently. And I think like that's great on both accounts, but the Phantom Menace and the prequels being different is like, that's good for those movies. And, and it resulted in something unique and interesting. And then it also resulted in, when we go back to that in 2015, it's like going back to and almost feels fresh in a way that it is like the previous thing because the thing that came before was different, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. that's good. You know what I mean? Um, and and so, yeah, I think in some ways, I don't know, maybe this is too much. Maybe I'm going too far. As I say, in some ways, <laughs> like it's, you can almost give like the sequel or the prequels like credit for keeping like Star Wars alive in a certain way because um, if it had just really, like if they had done three more movies that felt just like the originals, I don't know, like, would that hunger be there for then a third trilogy of movies? Or is it the fact that like they really went in some unexpected places and then they were able to return to something that they'd done before. And, you know, now like with Ryan Johnson or Ben Hoffman Weiss or whoever's going to do these, these movies that come after the sequels, I think now we're ready for not, you know, for something different too. Like, and, and that, and that was kind of like, you know, one of the points I wanted to make there about the Phantom Menace is just, it did set the expectation that like sometimes these star Wars movies won't be like the original trilogy or, or, you know each of these sequel trilogies or whatever you want to say needs to like kind of carve out their own identity and they shouldn't all just be the same 
because that gets pretty boring pretty quickly, you know? Um, and, and, and it's good to return to a certain, you know, kind of feeling once in a while or a vibe mm-hmm. or, a, or a style, but it's also good to branch out. And so, you know, who knows, maybe in, in 10 years, we'll get a trilogy of movies that feels a lot like the prequels in, <laughs> in significant ways. And it'll be like, <laughs> you know, kind of returning to that. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the prequels and Phantom Menace, especially, um, they definitely deserve some credit for, for setting the expectation that, that Star Wars is not just one thing and that it can branch out and it can take some risks and it can be bold. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's coming from George himself. Yes. And, you know, and then we would see this, you know, in, um, you know, later in kind of the last Star Wars work that George was involved in, in the Clone Wars, which is just like all over the place mm-hmm. um, and sort of in terms of like t- tone and mythology and everything. And I, th- yeah, I think like that was the man himself being like, Star Wars can be all these things yeah. and that's fine. Like it doesn't just have to be this movie that came out in 1977 over and over again. And reportedly, you know, I mean, we don't know for sure, but reportedly um, George wasn't that thrilled with The Force Awakens and said it's like mm-hmm. they made a movie for the fans, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, <laughs> he would not have wanted to see so much iconography and imagery and, you know, even just like tonally and stuff, like would not have wanted to see so much that was familiar and would have wanted to do new things. And apparently he wanted to make it about the cells inside of... <laughs> people's bodies and i don't know like yeah he wanted to be like like a biology like a video you watch in like biology class where it's like you you go inside the pore inside the you know mitochondria or what i don't who knows what that guy wanted to do so also shout out to midichlorians you know what i mean while we're talking about the fandom oh for sure i'm into midichlorians yeah for sure only because i think that they are a plot device and not something that he meant for people to take so seriously and to invest so much into you know I've said it before on this show, but like to me, midichlorians are there because George needed a quick way to tell the audience that Anakin is powerful on another level. And you could have a character be like, whoa, this little kid is super powerful. I can't believe how powerful he is. But I think it's it's a little more concrete when they say, dude, this guy's midichlorian counts even higher than Yoda's, you know? And, and, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, I think like a lot of people have in retrospect or maybe even at the time, like interpreted that to be now the only thing that matters in the in the world of the force they're midichlorians everything's about midichlorians midichlorians are the end all be all like nothing if you don't have those midichlorians get out of town you know and i don't think that was the purpose of it at all i think it was just like i need a way to show people that anakin is hardcore powerful like beyond um other characters and that he's got this crazy potential and so you know he came up with a term to show us that and i don't think it's anything more than that personally um and uh so on that level, I think it works really well. And uh, I almost like midichlorians more because people get so bent out of shape about midichlorians that it makes me like kind of a midichlorian fan, you know? Yeah. Okay. So this is a perfect segue into the reception slash legacy. Uh-huh. Um, so I want to I wanna take you back to 1999 and the, the Phantom Menace uh, received very mixed reviews from uh from critics um i remember like time or newsweek had like a pretty um scathing review um and this was and 
but the if you go back and you read those reviews, um, they're not the same things that people complain about now. Because at the time, I remember, like, from Star Wars fans and people I knew that the Phantom Menace was, like, really well-liked. And we kept going to see it in theaters. And um, we kept buying merchandise all through 99 and 2000 and stuff. And, um, And then, I don't know what, like, the turning point was necessarily um but then like i mean i think it like to me it felt like um people could handle everything in the phantom menace like um star wars fans could but then when they introduced the love story and attack of the clones like that's what people just could not take is like teenagers being dumb and in love and that's when I think like it was around the time of Attack of the Clones when I remembered when I remember like people, um, you know, starting to like talk really negatively uh, about the Phantom Menace. Um, and then but then I think like during like once like the Internet and social media kind of continued to like build and expand in like the um the mid 2000s and people were like making videos and stuff that's where like the nitpicking came in and like the stuff you were just talking about where people were like um you know midichlorians it doesn't make sense like um and like going um really Again, I don't think there's any other word than, like, nitpicking. Because um, it's not, like, really... It's not, like, a thoughtful analysis or anything. It's just, like, finding stuff to complain about. And I think that's, like, the point where, like, then it became, like, decided that the fa- that the prequels are bad, especially The Phantom Menace. Yeah, And that's yeah. that's kind of the way it felt to me. What about you? Oh, for sure. I mean, 100%, like, at the time that the movie came out, like, most of us loved it. Um, I mean, I, the reviews were mixed. Um, and, and you know, not everybody was, like, all about the movie. But I don't remember it being, like, you know, all the people that tell me now they hate The Phantom Menace and, like, you know, scoff at me when I'm like, are you kidding? I love that movie, you know? I'm going to mm-hmm. Celebration. I can't wait to celebrate 20 years of The Phantom Menace. And people are like, oh, it's the worst Star Wars movie, whatever, you know? I'm like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about because I love that movie. And they, they seem to think that, like you know, they don't understand my perspective, but I think, yeah, looking back, a lot of those people, those same people I'm talking to that tell me it's not a good movie, they certainly didn't feel that way at the time, you know? Um, and I don't know. I, it's, it's such a, uh, an interesting, you know, kind of thing to consider, like the reason some people don't like the movie and, you know, like for instance, you know, you bring up, um, or we, I guess we've been talking about this whole midichlorian thing. And it's like, if, if, See, here's the deal. The Phantom Menace to me is a very hopeful movie, and we've said that many times, and it's very bright, and it's very um, optimistic. And so, like, when people say, like, oh, well, the midichlorians, it made it so, like, the only thing that mattered was your your biology, and it destroyed the idea that anybody could be a Jedi. I'm like, if you focus on that line specifically, I guess, 
But if you think about this movie overall, like that's not the message of the movie and that's not the tone of the movie and that's not the feeling. It's not like some cynical or, um, or, 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 um, pessimistic movie in any way. You know what I mean? So it's like, I can see that on a, like, if you really just want to like really focus on that line and pick it apart and, 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 and fixate on it, I guess. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that argument would make a lot more sense if the movie overall presented that kind of mentality, but it doesn't at all. It's so optimistic, you know? Um, and then I think the other thing too is like, in retrospect, we're able to look at the prequels and say, well, you know what? It does show the Jedi as flawed, and that's for a reason. But is that satisfying for people? So, like, when when you think about how, like, when they get back to Coruscant, it's like all these Jedi sitting around in a circle in a big ivory tower, <laughs> like, above the rest of the population mm-hmm. and, and telling Qui-Gon, a guy who seems very in tune with the Force, that he's wrong about stuff because, like, their bureaucracy doesn't agree with it. It's sort of like one of those things where you say wait for the last 20 years or however many years it was since a new hope like as i've been thinking about who the jedi are in my head this is what they are they're this weird political organization i can see where that would be kind of frustrating too in retrospect you know but then at the same time it's like if you follow those movies through to the end of the prequel trilogy you realize that that's very intentional and it's not there to disappoint you as an audience it's there to advance the idea that you're watching not only Anakin fall, but you're watching the Jedi fall and you, they have to be flawed in order for that to happen. So I actually think like it's, it, you know, some of it makes sense to me and I don't want to like, I love the Phantom Menace, but I don't want to just sort of look at it like, or, or suggest that anybody who doesn't like it is like wrong, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they are cause the Phantom Menace is so good. Um, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I can, I can kind of empathize with certain things, but it's like, to me, when you really kind of step back and think about the larger picture, I think it all makes so much sense, you know, like, um, and it all just kind of works out. But, uh, so yeah. So I, I guess my larger point I'm making here is that, you know, some of the things people were satisfied with at the time and they've come up with reasons not to be satisfied with them in time. And then other things I can see where like, maybe it wouldn't have been very satisfying initially, but if you're willing to give all three movies a chance and look at the larger story being told, some of the stuff that maybe would have been a bummer in the Phantom Menace, like the Jedi being kind of lame in some ways mm-hmm. is actually very validated. And, and it's like, yeah, they gave us like this lame Jedi council thing, but you know what else they gave us? Multiple scenes of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon being awesome. And so you get both, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I'm very cool with all these decisions in the Phantom Menace, including midichlorians. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, again, just um, going back to, reception um you know i feel like especially again around the time of the force awakens which was um pretty well received by star wars um fandom as a whole except for like the racist and misogynistic uh side of star wars fandom but um i you know it was generally pretty well received um I think there was like I something I heard a lot um was people being like you know oh I I can't believe I had con- convinced myself that the prequels were good or like there was all of a sudden like there was like this weird like embarrassment to have been a fan of the prequels and um I I I heard that quite a bit and 
I hope people are like kind of coming back around on that. It's like, no, your enjoyment of those movies wasn't because you were like dumb or naive. Like you enjoyed them. Like just own that. And like, it's fine, but it became this thing, like you were saying, where it was like the tastemakers and, you know, like all these internet people are just like, you know, it's become the, um, the, I don't know, the hive mind agreement that these movies are bad and like, you're dumb if you, um, like them, but like, you're not (laughs) and uh you know like there's a lot of things to enjoy about these movies especially the phantom menace and i think i think people are like you know i think this celebration was like (laughs) i don't know like if you if you need to be like following the um you know the the group think um mindset like I think you can, like, it's safe to say that, um, you know, you can enjoy this movie again. <laughs> um, because, you know, like, 18,000 people packed into an arena just, like, celebrated this movie and chanted for Jar Jar. And, um, yeah, I think, like, we've kind of come back around, and I think that's just going to increase um as years pass and you know i think the appreciation for the film will you know generally either you know stay um fairly positive i mean there's always going to be um the haters but um i think like overall i think like the fandom has like really embraced the phantom menace and i think that's wonderful yeah yeah it's not a perfect movie it has flaws you know but uh Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, very much. I think The Phantom Menace is unafraid to kind of be what it wants to be and uh, is not, like I said before, you know, zero posturing, zero attempts to be cool, you know. And uh, I think the sooner um, a lot of us within the Star Wars fandom um, stop worrying about being cool or if it's cool to like The Phantom Menace (laughs) and just say, like, you know what, this, like, this joyful, hopeful, bright, um, optimistic movie that, you know, really is followed by two movies that (laughs) the optimism starts to wane pretty quickly. So maybe enjoy (laughs) it while you have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think is, uh, I think is brilliant. I think it's fantastic. And so, um, you know, I think to wrap up here, Ryan, um, Mm -hmm. what I would love to say here to wrap up is that, you know, it's 20 years after the Phantom Menace and, I am sitting here in my office in the Blockade Runner HQ, you know, and I'm looking over at a shelf full from top to bottom of like prequel era, 90% of it Phantom Menace era stuff. Um, I'm looking at all my cup toppers. I'm looking at my outrageously expensive uh, Darth Maul leather bound book. Um, I've got my my server celebration Denver, Colorado poster on the wall over here. Mm. And, um, you know, like 20 years on, like I love the Phantom Menace, like as much, maybe more than I did the summer it came out. Um, but mm-hmm. not only that, like more importantly, even than that is the fact that like, I think even with 2015 being as great as it was, I think the summer of 99, the spring and summer of 99, um, is always going to be maybe the best year of my life as far as like being a Star Wars fan goes, because it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. The hype was so real. The merch was so real. The money I spent was so real. Um, <laughs> seeing those movie 14 or seeing that movie 14 times in the theater, you know, buying 
the goofiest like <laughs> they had every toy it was so good like there was like 80 toys in that line or something crazy like that like so many mm-hmm. every little stupid figure you wanted they had it um and uh yeah no it was just all so exciting and so much fun and um I don't know that I'll ever, you know, have a year in Star Wars that can be, you know, that exciting for me again. So uh, I love the movie. Uh, I love the memories from that time. And, um, you know, like I, I owe so much of my life as a Star Wars fan to the Phantom Menace and and that time in in Star Wars history. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to overstate how much I, I love this movie and sort of the the uh the era in which it released yeah absolutely and like my final thing um like what i'm kind of most grateful for um from the phantom menace uh you know in here in 20 years later is i mean first of all like the leap in uh quality of um you know, green screen and computer generated effects in film. Um, like it was such a, such a turning point. Like, I mean, think of like all the, f- think of like how potentially cheesy and bad, like the first, like, um, you know, first Spider-Man movie could have been, you know, without, the Phantom Menace, um, and, like, that tech and stuff, and, like, just the, you know, the rising standards of, um, all that, and, um, actually, I don't know when the first Spider-Man movie came out. Was it, like, 2001? Yeah, no, it came out in 2002. It came out when Attack of the Clones came out. It was, like, right around the same time. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and, like, yeah, like, just everything, like, the, you know, the MCU now, like, those those films are using, you know, tech that be, kind of began with this movie. And it's not saying that tech wouldn't have been developed eventually, but, like, George was the one with the resources and stuff when everyone was saying, like, oh, no, we're not ready for this. No way. Like, this is impossible. He was like, no, we're going to do it. Like, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And he did it. And, um, and I think like, I'm super grateful for that because it, you know, drastically improved, um, the visuals of, you know, blockbuster, big budget films, um, which, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of blockbusters. So, um, like that's cool. And then also I'm kind of the final thing, like I'm super grateful for is the, um, the, the new generation of fandom that, rose from the movie it's these people that you know um we're seeing now like who are starting you know starting podcasts and cosplaying at celebration and like the people who are like 10 years younger than us who are like the next wave of star wars fandom you know and they were so like inspired and like just mind blown by um you know the phantom menace at the time and like it became like such an important part of like their formative childhood years and i think like they you know there's some of the people who make the fandom better now um and it's not just like like crusty old dudes like us um you know 
wanting everything to go back to like 1983 mm-hmm. um which is not what we're like at all but like <laughs> we are old um and you know i think like it's great that that generation is going to like carry the torch next and then the you know the generation that was first exposed to star wars through the sequel trilogy will you know kind of carry the torch alongside and after them and i think that's like wonderful there's a great line in maybe the second best star wars movie after the phantom menace uh that goes uh they are what we grow beyond and uh i think uh i think you're right about that ryan i think um that's uh, absolutely the case uh, with uh, these future generations of Star Wars fans who aren't so fixated on uh, having an expectation of only one thing and it better meet up to that expectation or otherwise we uh, complain. Although every generation has its legend, uh, every generation has its hero, you know, um, et cetera, and every generation has its um, its, uh, its 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 petition starting uh i demand it my way kind of uh segment as well but generally speaking i think you're you're totally right they are what we grow beyond so um great place to wrap up our discussion of the phantom menace um for now although i think we're gonna be revisiting this movie in in multiple ways over um the course of the rest of this year and uh, the rest of this podcast i'm sure so um, it's not the last yeah. time we're we talking haven't TPM. even talked about the the video games <laughs> we haven't we need to do that and i didn't get to talk about my obi-wan qui-gon darth maul animatronic banks or uh my mm. um inflatable jar jar binks chair either that i got at kmart on super clearance so um mm-hmm. you know lots to discuss still but uh i think we have to, we have to call it for today um, so until those future episodes you can find everything we do at the blockade runner no i'm sorry at blockade runner podcast Dot com. You can email us at blockadrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on The Phantom Menace. Um, and you can do that through uh, email or use the link in the in the show notes. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for uh, voicemail as well, which is a new feature in our podcasting platform. So I'll, uh, I'll put that in there. That'd be fun. Um, but uh, we'd love to hear from you one way or the other. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Blockade Run or Ryan on Twitter at Braun Dwarf. B-R-A-W-N-D-W-A-R-F. You've got to spell that, Ryan. Nobody knows what know. Braun Dwarf is, okay? Neither um, do I. I don't even know. Yeah, I Neither do I. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for listening and celebrating the Phantom Menace with us, and we will be back soon with more Blockade Runner Podcasts.